Welcome to the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. <clears throat> well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in this evening. It's a much different Thursday evening down here in Southwest Florida than it was last thirty last Thursday evening. Our skies are clear. No dark and stormy night tonight, which my 11-year-old lab, Bahama, is quite happy to find herself in that situation. No, no doggy downers tonight for Bahama. She's curled up asleep in front of my desk here inside the Opium Den studio. So I'm hoping that your weather is equally as pleasant. It's very hot down here, but that's what we expect as our summer begins to roll in. So tonight, what I'd like to talk about tonight, and I also want to encourage all my faithful listeners, all of you glorious den heads out there, to give us a call here at the Opium Den. Our number is 727-493-2205. Or you can use Skype if you're a Skyper out there. My Skype ID is the New Libertarian. And you can send us an email here at Daniel at theopiumden.net. So we like to hear from everyone. We usually get a call or two on Thursday nights. Sometimes we don't. So don't be shy. Give us a call. Voice your opinion. Tell us what you think about drugs and drug prohibition. Again, the number is 727-493-2205. And Skype, my ID is the new libertarian. And you can find that information on the home page over at theopiumden.net. As well as you can send me an email just by clicking the email button. So what I want to start off with tonight is I'm sure my, uh, my faithful readers and listeners out there will remember my recent piece on Red Bull, the product that Red Bull puts out called Simply Cola. Now, this particular non-alcoholic drink was recently banned. Uh, May 19th, I believe, was the correct date. And Red Bull Simply Cola was banned in several German states and it's looking like it may spread across Europe as far as it's uh, being banned. Why Red Bull Simply Cola is being banned is that they found that this non-alcoholic drink contained 0.4 milligrams of cocaine in every can. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Of course, 0.4 uh, milligrams is hardly enough to numb a gnat's nose, but that's not the point. The point is that this particular drink apparently contains cocaine. So what we're going to do tonight, or what I'm going to do, to do tonight, is I've never had Red Bull at all. Never drank Red Bull. But I went out and, uh, fearing that it may soon be banned here in the U.S., I went out and bought a case. So what I'm going to do tonight uh, to start the broadcast, we're gonna I'm gonna pop the top on a 12 ounce can and 
see what all the excitement's about. So here we go. All right, my first gulp of cocaine cola. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> but I'm going to drink it in the interest of science. I'll be drinking this 12-ounce can throughout the broadcast tonight, and maybe I'll get a buzz. Maybe I won't. But it's interesting. We're going to read the. Uh, I'm going to read the ingredients. What uh, is uh, inside every can of Red Bull Simply Cola? Now, obviously, it has water and sugar and carbon dioxide. Whoa, carbon dioxide. Hmm. Uh, natural flavors that they call, they call caramel. Um, natural flavors from plant extracts. So this is the interesting part. Uh, gal and gal, I don't have any idea what that is. Vanilla, I know. Mustard seed, of course. Lime. The lime in the cola nut. It has a cola nut. Um... Uh, and also we have uh, licorice, uh, cinnamon, lemon, ginger, orange, corn, mint, pine. Jesus, pine. Um, and then we have uh, car, uh, cardamom, uh, mace. I'm hoping that's not the same mace that police squirted in the eyes of protesters. Also has clove, and here we have it, right here on the can, coca leaf. Very interesting. It also includes uh, lemon juice concentrate and caffeine from coffee beans. So there it is right on the can, coca leaf, and that's what the controversy is all about over in Europe. Um, so we're going to see. We're going to, like I said, in the interests of science, I'm going to uh, suck down a 12-ounce can of this initially disgusting tasting product for my taste. I'm a cokehead, Coca-Cola cokehead, uh, and I did have a dalliance for a while back in the uh, late 70s with uh, the real cocaine, but that's beside the point and something I detail in my, in my book, The Naked Truth About Drugs. But here are this can of Red Bull Simply Cola. Distributed by Red Bull out of uh, Santa Monica, California. But uh, this particular can of Red Bull was made in Switzerland. So there you have it. So let me take another big slug of this and uh, see where we go from here. Well, I got to tell you what. I can taste a lot of different things. Um, as far as the ingredients uh, were listed there, but I tell you, it's got a it's got a slight medicinal flavor to it, and I don't think it's the uh, the coca leaf. I think there's a little bit of I'm tasting a little bit of the lime, uh, maybe maybe the licorice, but it certainly uh, is not anything like uh, Coca Cola Classic. But uh, here we go for another big slug of Simply Cola. I have no idea I'm going to get a buzz. I sure hope so, because this stuff is disgusting. So, onward with the, the show here. A couple of things we want to you know talk about tonight. Uh, our regular feature, Cops on Drugs, where we uh, expose the follies of our 
men and women in law enforcement who have taken it upon themselves to go on the other side of the drug war and do stupid drug tricks that uh, ultimately put them in jail. So we'll be talking about a couple of three or four cops on drugs tonight. And uh, if anybody, if, unless you've been in a coma and uh, you would, uh, like I said, unless, unless you don't read, watch the news or anything, um, you, are, you are aware of the South Carolina governor, Republican Mark Sanford, who uh, ditched not only uh, his staffers, but uh, everybody in the state of South Carolina. Uh, and went down to Argentina to see the new love of his life. Now, <clears throat> I'm probably the last person to weigh in on the matters of sex and the heart and the like. But I tell you, there's been a, a, a rash of, of politicians uh, caught up in, uh, in sex scandals. In fact... Since 1998, a mere 11 years, in that 11-year time frame, we have had in the United States 23, 23 political sex scandals. And they run the gamut from Republican, Democrat. There is no, uh, no, no particular party immune to, to sex scandals. And the most recent uh, sex scandals... Uh, for those of you who follow politics and enjoy the juicy hypocrisy of, of those of the, the family values persuasion that end up caught in the act, so to speak. So the last six, the most recent uh, sex scandals, political sex scandals, uh, involved uh, former Governor Elliot Spitzer, Democrat, Democrat of New York, New York governor. You know, he was client number nine, kind of ripped off an old John Lennon tune, but he was client number nine with the, uh, what do you say, like the prostitution uh, guy. He liked, uh, he liked prostitutes, apparently. So we have former Governor Elliot Spitzer, and we have former Senator and, and presidential hopeful John Edwards, who uh, cheated on his wife, who is dying... Uh, with cancer, those are the two uh, the two Democrats on the sex wall of shame. And then everyone may remember Senator Larry Craig, a Republican out of Idaho, uh, who uh, he pleaded guilty to uh, disorderly conduct. I love how they couch the terms disorderly conduct related to an alleged lewd behavior in a Minneapolis airport men's room. Senator Larry Craig, Republican of Idaho, the man of a uh, wide stance. That was his uh, defense back there when he was tapping toes under the under the stall walls with a, which turned out to be an undercover agent. So, uh, Senator Larry Craig, Republican from Idaho, and then we have uh, Senator David Vitter, uh, Republican senator from Louisiana. In uh, July 2007, he was identified as a client of a Washington, D.C. prostitution service. Uh, <laughs> and uh, then Senator John Ensign, a Republican senator from Nevada, 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 
I always get that mixed up because my mother was was born in Marion, Ohio, and there was a town, another small dusty burg right down the uh, right down the street from uh, from where my mother grew up, called uh, Nevada, and uh, or called Nevada, Ohio. See, I'm I'm, I'm confused. In Nevada, Ohio. So whenever I speak of uh, Nevada, I usually screw it up like I did tonight. But Senator John Ensign admitted to an illicit uh, sexual affair, and there was some blackmail and things. Uh, and things involved there. And then again, uh, Mark Sanford, the latest to get caught up in a sex scandal. Uh, many of the, you know, Mark, Mark Sanford and uh, Senator John Ensign, they were both uh, considered uh, up-and-comers in the Republican Party and, and potential candidates for the 2012 presidential election. That may or may not happen anymore. But what uh, what I what I find uh, most offensive, and it, it isn't really it isn't really the infidelity, um, infidelity you know, which well, well not exactly rampant uh, in in uh, society, it, it is rather common. Um, ladies of the evening will tell you that most of their customers are married men, so we know that. Um, Infidelities out there. We're not going to make a comment either way. But uh, the crux of the sex biscuit is that uh, Homo sapiens are not monogamous as a species. Uh, you know, looking for a little strange, uh, whether that search is by men or women, is uh, part of our DNA. All covenants of fidelity, while important in relationships and often upheld, are intrinsically unnatural. And that's just the way it is. It is in our DNA. We are not a monogamous species. But the true scandal of all of this, as I mentioned, we're not going to comment on infidelity per se, but the real, the real scandal is the hypocrisy of those involved in these sex things, sex uh, scandals, primarily Republicans, primarily Republicans. Uh, they, they claim the mantle of family values. Uh, they seem to be quite, uh, quite intent on the old maxim of do, of, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Um, so the hypocrisy is what uh, is what bothers me. It's the it's the the double standard that those in the of the conservative uh, conservative bent tend to uh, uh, tend to preach to us, uh, you know, about uh, family values and how important it is to. Excuse me, I'm talking to my to Dan Rodigo, my uh, <laughs> my technical guru. Turn it up just a little bit. Sorry about that. If you're listening, give me a call and tell me that you heard that. But anyway, uh, what we're doing is we're trying to get a little uh, cheap soundtrack going here at my audio system in the other part of the studio. I'm playing a little Pink Floyd, and I don't know if that will come through, if it came through too loud or whatever. But anyway, I digress. So, you know, that's fine, Dan. Thanks. So, um, 
the uh, the whole the whole sex scandal thing uh, is it, just ridiculous. And what I mean by the double standard, obviously you you understand what I mean. But let's look at Mark Sanford. Uh, when Mark Sanford was a Republican, well, he's always been a Republican, but when he was a member of the House of Representatives in 1998, he voted to impeach Bill Clinton for what everybody knows was uh, his, his sexual dalliances with, with Monica Lewinsky, although the Republicans will go to their grave saying, it wasn't about sex, it's never about sex. It was about lying under oath and blah, 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 blah. But the whole thing was instigated because old Bubba was getting his knob polished underneath the desk in the Oval Office by little Miss Monica Lewinsky. So Mark Sanford, a you know, recently disgraced governor of South, of South Carolina, said it was absolutely impo- important to impeach Bill Clinton because, and these are his own words, uh, Senator Mark Sanford's own words, uh, on the old CNN program at Crossfire uh, back in 1998. You remember Crossfire? It was the pub. It was the um, political shout fest that uh, had a nice run on CNN until John Stewart of the Daily Show uh, ripped him a new asshole, and they shortly thereafter uh, went off the air. Oh God, this stuff is disgusting. Not feeling any buzz yet, but anyway, <clears throat> God, it's terrible. But I digress again. Mark Sanford was on the Crossfire program, and this is a quote from Mark Sanford regarding uh, Bill Clinton after they said, well, you know, he was lying because of his personal life and all that. Uh, Mark Sanford said, the bottom line, the bottom line is he lied, and that must be taken very, very seriously. So if we take, if, if Mark Sanford is good to his word and believes that infidelity and uh, of politicians should be taken very, very seriously, then I would expect Mark Sanford to do the right thing and resign as governor of South Carolina and uh, do his best to shelter his family, especially his four children, from all the media shitstorm that's going to come out uh, as a result of that. I mean, the, the, the hypocrisy, as I mentioned, the hypocrisy is just, is just what slays me. Now, everybody knew Clinton was a hound dog. I mean, <laughs> that was no surprise to anybody uh, about uh, President Clinton or Bill, Bill Clinton prior to being elected. We all knew he was a hound dog, and we elected him twice anyway because we knew about it. We accepted it. Bill Clinton wasn't out there. Uh, preaching the the family values strict and you know railing against homosexuality and sex in general and leading that type of charge. Like I said, <laughs> old Bubba was a hound dog and uh, he he did what he wanted to do and we forgave him that because he didn't preach to us about it. But with Mark Sanford, uh, I don't know how he's going to be able to to make it out of this uh, alive, or at least uh, as the governor of South Carolina. Apparently, um, I mean, this this is uh, the, uh, the, uh, the just the surreal part. Apparently, the, uh, Mr. Sanford was so enamored with his Argentine lovely that he would send her emails. And they're just becoming, they're just now uh, being made public. They've known about them for some time, apparently, but they're just now 
being made public, and they're juicy, loosey stuff. And uh, as an elected official, I mean, especially, I mean, no offense, but a fucking governor, how stupid does this man have to be to write these emails in the first place? So I think that the emails are going to uh, just, you know, kill him of a, of a thousand. He'll die a death of a thousand cuts. And his wife, who I've seen on TV several times, is a very attractive woman. Apparently she threw Governor Sanford out a while back and uh, told him to get his shit together and decide what he would, you know, choose your Argentine honey or your uh, life, career, wife, and four children. Oh, that tastes terrible. But <clears throat> apparently, uh, Mark Sanford took this uh, sabbatical from the state of South Carolina and shimmied on down to Argentina by way of the Appalachian Highway or the Appalachian Trail. And we don't know what uh, what transpired down there, whether he continued to profess his love or he decided to end the affair and man up and take care of business back home. But one, the only thing we do know that or what Mark Sanford did down in Argentina was he said in his press conference, which was quite rambling, and I think it was uh, induced by Xanax. I think uh, Mark might have popped a Xanier two before going out there and facing the music, which through his rambling dissertation was quite discordant. But uh, we do know from his from his press conference that for five days he cried down in Argentina. So how tone deaf is this guy? Just how, how stupid is he to say he was crying in Argentina? If we all remember, maybe, maybe many of you don't because you're not nearly as old as I am, but Madonna did the movie about uh, Perón's old lady, and it was Don't Cry For Me, Argentina was one of the, uh, the songs in that musical. And so here's Mark Sanford uh, shedding tears for five days down in Argentina. So it remains to be seen how, how that works out, but it is just uh, it, it, the hypocrisy is what is what makes it all so maddening and, and, uh, and, and stupid. So there we have uh, the latest... Um, you know, sex, drugs, I guess the sex part of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, we're going to get to the rock and roll part tonight as well. Uh, we want to, uh, first, before we get into the rock and roll aspect, Farrah Fawcett, as many of you know, uh, passed away today at the age of 62. Um, she was a, a masturbatory pinup for many young men. Her, which by today's standards, is a very tame poster, uh, graced uh, the walls and probably the ceilings of a lot of uh, adolescent young men. And if you can bring up the image of that poster, she looked very wholesome, very pretty, a one-piece bathing suit, but her nipples were hard as a rock. And uh, <laughs> I think that's what inspired uh, so many young adolescent males who bought that poster I think she sold like you know 10 or 11 million posters just a, just a shitload of those posters time for a little Red Bull oh it is not getting any better with as it gets uh, as we go along here so we want to say uh, you know tip our hat and 
our Kleenex box to Farrah Fawcett, who passed away today at the age of 62 from cancer. So we did the sex part with Mark Sanford, and you know we're here in the opium den, very, very drug uh, oriented. But let's talk about the rock and roll aspect because another death today, uh, the death of Michael Jackson. Now it's all over, and he just passed away an hour or so ago. It's all over all the news channels, and everybody is, you know, putting flowers and whatever, and talking about how great of an entertainer, the king of pop. He, he self-titled himself uh, the king of pop. Um, so now everybody is is uh, is saying kind words for Michael Jackson, and I'm not one to to speak ill of the dead, but uh, nor do I wish the speedy death of anyone. But I'm afraid I can't shed many tears for Michael Jackson. Uh, I feel badly for his family, but I'm sure there's a certain comfort that has come over the family that now maybe this controversy will be not laid to rest, but at least put in the coffin and buried uh, with, with Michael Jackson. I've read a lot of things on Twitter and on Facebook and on the news. And, uh, you know, I guess when someone dies, you try not to speak of the bad parts. But some of the, some of Michael Jackson's bad parts were unspeakable horrors. His dilly-dallying around with young boys is is without doubt he has not been convicted, but he has spent tens of millions of dollars in buying silence and the best law, best lawyers around to keep him out of jail. So, Michael Jackson, may you finally rest in peace, but you were a despicable human being when it came to your personal life and the damage that you have done I believe, uh, far exceeds your musical talents. So, I'm sure it's an interesting bus ride to wherever Farrah Fawcett and Michael Jackson are going to be sitting on the same bus together. I'd like to be able to fly on the wall. Not, well, not ride. But Michael Jackson and Farrah Fawcett both passed away today. But on the upside of today... June 25th, 2009. It is my brother's 62nd birthday. Brother Tom turns 62 today. So I want to shout out a happy birthday wish to my brother. And for anyone who may care, my birthday was two days ago, June 23rd, 1950. So I turned 59 years old a couple of days ago. And today my brother turned 62. So we generally celebrate our birthdays together, and as luck would have it, my brother was down, is down here visiting with us, so I was able to spend a part of the day today with my brother, helping him celebrate his 62nd birthday. And now he qualifies for Social Security and seems to be quite interested in getting his first check. He's earned it, he's worked all of his life, and deserves a good a good. Uh, retirement. So here we go. Let's get into the drug news. Uh, we've gotten some of the sex part and the rock and roll part out. Uh, let's talk about uh, some drug news. 
Now, the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, which I think is a very apt uh, title for the office, they are on drugs, and it's a crime that they're even uh, uh, an office to begin with. But anyway, the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime released the World Drug Report for 2009. And um, I recommend everyone uh, read it. You can uh, Google it, find out, or you can go to one of the best drug policy blogs out there, Drug Warrant, Drug Warrant. It's spelled D-R-U-G-W-A-R-W-A-R-R-A-N-T, all one word, Drug Warrant, written by my friend Pete Geither. And you can uh, download the PDF of the entire 2009 World Drug Report. But as I mentioned in my blog, all you really need to read is the preface and the executive summary. Uh, the executive summary is basically a synopsis of what the whole report is. And the executive summary is written for people because no one reads this shit. And if at best, all they read is the executive summary. So I'm right from the get-go in the preface. Uh, and, and this was written by... Uh, by Antonio Maria Costa. He is the executive director of the UNODC, the United Nations Office on Drugs, uh, which is a crime, but uh, United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime. Uh, right away in the, uh, in the preface, he mentions that uh, we are at the end of, the, of our first century of drug prohibition. Uh, and he even states that it started in Shanghai in 1909. Right away, uh, you got to think about drug prohibition. The, the, the genesis of drug prohibition uh, was in Shanghai. Now, if memory serves me well and history is correct, Shanghai was notorious for getting sailors drunk and debilitated, uh, waited till they passed out and kidnapped them and threw them on the, on the boats. And uh, before they were sobered up and awake the next morning, they were out of port. That is how the expression, the Shanghai came into play. So it's very interesting, if not a little, a little queer, that uh, drug prohibition started in Shanghai. So we were shanghai from the get-go on drug prohibition. But the report, uh, Mr. Costa says that uh, we are ending the first century of drug prohibition. And uh, this is a quote uh, from the preface, uh, Mr. Costas. Drugs continue to pose a health danger to humanity. That's why drugs are and should remain controlled. Now, this is like in the first, in the first paragraph of, of, of this shit. He's talking about... Uh, Drugs should, uh, uh, the reason they are, you know, drugs are and should continue to be controlled. Now, I don't know what his, what his definition of control is, but uh, there's absolutely no control on drugs out there. Uh, they're illegal around the world, with the exception of uh, a few pockets of sanity, Portugal being one and the Netherlands being another. Uh, there is no control over drugs out there. Every single world government and every single elected official in those governments have voted for a hundred years to eliminate any type of control over drugs 
and have ceded the entire operation to a global black market. They are in control, and we have absolutely no control over the drug cartels. So for, for Mr. Costas to say that uh, you know drugs continue to pose a health hazard and that's why they are and shall remain controlled is, uh, is a little surreal. But this, is, uh, this particular report, uh, what, what is striking um, about this report is that for the first time, Mr. Costa uh, spends a lot of time talking about the, the uh, prohibition repeal movement, or as he likes to derisively call it, the legalizers. He gives a lot of ink to that, and that's what is most notable of this report because the rest of it is total bullshit. But what he says that, uh, I mean, this is astounding, really, when you when you think about it. He admits in the uh, in the preface before we get to the executive summary. He admits in the preface that there is a, and I quote this, a growing chorus among politicians, the press, and even public opinion that drug control is not working, and he says that. The broadcasting volume of, of this chorus is still rising and the message is spreading. Now, that is just, you know, that is, like I said, that is an astounding comment to make. Even he talks about uh, everybody, apparently, except the, uh, the drug warriors at the UN and around the world, everybody is, uh, is under the agreement that the drug control, drug prohibition is not working. But yet, but yet, Mr. Costa just reputes all that by saying, well, that's just naive and silly. And, you know, what are these, what are, what are these politicians, the press, and even, even members of the public? How stupid are they to, to be calling for uh, change in, in our drug policy, uh, global drug policy? Um, his, main, his, his main argument against legalization, he, he goes on to two or three different, uh, different reasonings there. He disputes them all, obviously, and you know, irrationally. But the biggest, uh, the, the biggest boogie boogie man in drug prohibition, all the prohibitionists say that if we were to repeal prohibition and replace it with a controlled marketplace for the sale and distribution of these illicit substances, he says as soon as we do that, the uh, the shit hits the fan and we will become an addict nation. That uh, the only thing that's keeping people from doing, from running out and smoking coke or shooting heroin is that it's against the law and that everybody is just sitting home and waiting and itching for the day that drugs become illegal so they can run right out there and and consume them. So that type of of, uh, argument is just total bullshit. And Mr. Costa, who is a a bright man, you know, I got to give him that, but he's absolutely blind by ideological concerns over uh, the danger of drugs. And when he talks about the the economic side of it, where you know a regulated market will not only stimulate some type of tax revenue, but the greatest the greatest uh, economic value is that we won't be spending uh, as a country, the United States, it costs us over right at two hundred billion, that's $200 billion a year just in the United States in direct and indirect costs of the drug war. Um, that's the real, that's the real savings, the money that we're going to get from taxing 
uh, these drugs is, is, is irrelevant, really, to the, to the overall picture. But according to Mr. Costas, this is not an economic issue because we are not counting beans, we are counting human lives. So he's in, the, the, the inference there is that this isn't a dry type of argument, this is a passionate argument. We're not really talking about money, we're talking about uh, saving human lives. And uh, he goes on into, into the preface. He talks about uh, how we have to, uh, while, the, while he seems to agree that the current situation is not working, as opposed to doing the, uh, the right thing and the commonsensical thing and the humane thing and repealing prohibition, he just uh, advocates for a different kind of prohibition, like we're just not trying hard enough or we're not trying the right, uh, the right things to, uh, to eliminate prohibition or to eliminate uh, drug use and all of the, the uh, human suffering that goes along with it. Um, again, uh, go, go, to, uh, go to Drug Warrant and uh, download the whole, uh, the whole report. It'll, uh, it'll just make you shudder with the, with the absolute incompetence and stupidity, not ignorance. It, it is sheer stupidity of the um, Antonio Maria Costa, who was the executive director of the UNODC, to believe that they can be so blind and so hypocritical and so stunningly stupid as to believe that we are just not trying hard enough or we need other types of prohibition to save the human beings and not the the beans that are counted by the by the economists. Um, so go go to go to the drug war. Go to stopthedrugwar.org. All of these uh, drug policy sites are are all fired up today about uh, the UN report. Um, but as uh, as as faithful as my faithful Denhead listeners will know, I did an interview with uh, Danny Kuschlik from Transform, our our friends across the pond in uh, London. Who, uh, who take the same approach that I do, that total repeal of drug prohibition, replacing that with a marketplace to control the sale and distribution of drugs is the only, the only way to move forward. So I like Danny a lot, and he's, he's quoted here on, uh, on Pete uh, Geither's Drug Warrant uh, website. And I like, to, I like to give my props to Danny, because like I said, he's a smart guy, and they understand that the incremental approach... Uh, is not the way to go, and he's hopeful that here uh, in the states we can get all of our drug policy reformers on the same page, moving away from the issue of medical marijuana and attacking the larger, uh, more destructive issue of drug prohibition uh, as a whole. But I like what uh, what Danny has to say here. Um, he uh, he says basically that the uh, the the UN uh, is at war with itself, and and I like that. And it is claiming that uh, that uh, Costa has identified five major unintended consequences of the drug control system, and obviously those five major unintended uh, um, consequences are the problem we have with without stop, not being able to stop drugs, the global black market, the crime, the corruption, all of those. But I, I, like what, I like what Danny has to say here when he talks about the five major unintended 
consequences of the drug control system. Danny says, is there a time limit on how long a consequence remains unintended? Aren't there now just consequences? And that's very succinct, and I like that. And I sent Danny uh, an email today congratulating him on on, on making uh, good sense and putting, putting his thoughts in a very succinct fashion. Of course, there are not unintended consequences anymore. Uh, we've, we've seen these consequences for, 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 for at least 40 years and uh, 90, 95 uh, years since drug prohibition first was Shanghai in uh, China. So if you get a chance, uh, go to transform, transform.org. And, uh, and and read the read the report from uh, from Danny and again drug drug warrant Pete Geither's uh, drug blog and stopthedrugwar.org uh, both both good and uh, reliable sources of of drug information. So now we've gotten uh, three through uh, about forty minutes and I'm three fourths of the way through with my Red Bull Simply Cool. I'm going to take a big slug right now. Oh, got it. Well, I got to tell you, that particular gulp wasn't nearly as disgusting as the previous gulps, but maybe the coca leaf is numbing my taste buds, and <clears throat> this is turning out to be a better than anticipated. You know, it's almost got, and I know what that taste is, it's kind of like a Dr. Pepper taste. That's what it is. It's kind of Dr. Pepperish. Um, you know, carbs has 31 grams of carbs, which they say is 10% of your daily allocation, and 31 grams of sugars, which makes it pretty sweet. Uh, no protein, no fat, 10 milligrams of sodium. And my favorite ingredient is the coca leaf. But anyway, um, there it is. I'm drinking my Red Bull probably keep me up all night tonight, so what can I tell you? Okay, well, it's 9.42, Thursday, June 25th, down here in southwest Florida, and I'd like to hear the phone ring. Come on, somebody out there. Give me a call, 727-493-2205. It's right there listed on the homepage. Or if you Skype, make it a free call between the two of us. My Skype ID is the New Libertarian. Or send me an email at daniel at theopiumden.net. We'd love to put you on the air, see how you sound, call your friends, download it, and say, hey, I was inside the opium den. So again, give us a call if you're so inclined. Because if not, all you're going to do is listen to me for the rest of the rest of the hour as I uh, gulp down the rest of my Red Bull Simply Cola. Oh. <laughs> Okay, well, let's get into uh, a feature that uh, has become popular. I've gotten a, a few emails with regards to this, so we're going to uh, we're happy that people are taking note. But this is our weekly feature that we call "Cops on Drugs." This is where we identify those among us in law enforcement who succumb to greed and drug use and do very stupid and silly drug tricks and end up in jail. So where we're going to, uh, we have a couple of uh, couple of stories. We're going to 
go north to uh, Indianapolis, or as some of my friends who live there call it, India, no place. But Indianapolis is where we start tonight. We're two, uh, two former, they always say former because obviously once they get caught, uh, they're no longer cops. Two, two former Indianapolis narcotics detectives, they were convicted for stealing marijuana and money from pot dealers. Pot dealers generally being uh, more of the benign uh, type of criminals, although, you know, some of them do carry guns. But um, a lot of them are afraid of using bits of it, but, but some aren't. But anyway, two former narcotics detectives, uh, uh, one Robert Long, who's 35 years old, and his partner in crime, literally and figuratively, Jason Edwards, uh, 38. These two uh, former uh, detectives were convicted for conspiracy to distribute 50 kilograms. And for those of you not uh, attuned to the metric system, that's 110 pounds. Each kilogram is 2.2 pounds times 50 is 110 pounds of pot. Not exactly your, uh, you know, average stoner stash. So they... Uh, they stole 50 keys and uh, cash uh, from a stash house that was a, a sting set up by the FBI. They videotaped it. I'd love to see the videotape. That's the kind of shit that won't make it on, on YouTube. But I'm sure it'll be a part of uh, the, uh, the prosecution's evidence package. So the FBI initiated this sting, and they got him on tape uh, stealing pot and, uh, and cash from uh, what they thought was a marijuana stash house when uh, in actuality it was an FBI uh, sting house. And to, uh, to make matters worse, there was another incident where, uh, where Robert and Jason, our former narcotic officers in Indianapolis, uh, a separate incident where they ripped off $20,000 uh, from a drug courier who just happened to be working <laughs> for the FBI. So uh, Robert and uh, Jason uh, were convicted. Now there was a a third cop involved in this uh, in this uh, shakedown and ripoff, and his name was James Davis. But uh, Mr. Davis uh, has already uh, pleaded guilty. Uh, I don't know whether he uh, ratted out Robert and Jason, but it was a three man operation. He's like I said, he has already been adjudicated and and. Uh, uh, his case has been adjudicated guilty, and uh, he faces 10 to 15 years um, in prison, where uh, as Lang or excuse me, Long and Edwards uh, face 20 years each. So uh, Robert Long, 35 years old, Jason Edwards, 38, and the third stooge, James Davies, uh, guilty, guilty, guilty up in Indianapolis for ripping off uh, pot dealers and they are going to jail which I think is just wonderful give me a call if you think that's a if that's a good thing to drink a little Red Bull for oh <laughs> Jesus that's bad but you know what maybe it's I don't know if, I don't know if it's just a hype or uh, suggestive thinking but I'm getting a little head thing going on here it might just be the caffeine because there's probably just loads of caffeine in there with just a little bit of coca leaf. 
but the maybe the little bit of cocoa leaf is giving me a little bitty buzz. Don't know, but we'll see if I can get to sleep at night. But back to uh, cops on drugs. We have a, you know here we are. We have a radio host on drugs, but we're focusing on cops on drugs. Our next uh, star. I guess we should say, in the, in the law enforcement uh, arena. We're going to go out west to Yuma, Arizona. I like Arizona. Um, first time I went out there, people said, oh, you're going to love it. You know, it's so much so much different than Florida. Arizona, they've just got uh, it's dry heat out there as opposed to all of your moist heat in Florida. And the first time I went out to Arizona, I thought my eyeballs were going to pop out of my head because they dried up. So I much prefer the wet heat. Uh, the humidity over the dry heat and send me letters, give me a call, tell me what you think about that. Just my personal preference. But here we are in Yuma, Arizona. Now we have a Yuma cop by the name of Jeff Presco. Uh, now, uh, Officer Presco was arrested for stealing $11,000 from the uh, Yuma Police Department evidence room. Now, Apparently, Mr. Presco had gotten himself into a little bit of trouble with uh, prescription drugs. And I'm assuming we're not talking about uh, Viagra. We're talking uh, probably hydrocodone, oxycodone, Vicodin, Percocets, whatever. So I'm believing that uh, Mr. Presco got himself a little monkey on his back. So to feed the monkey, he stole $11,000 from the Yuma, Arizona police evidence room. So he could obviously buy the prescription drugs that he was addicted to. Now, uh, how Mr. How Officer Presco uh, was caught is rather interesting. Uh, he was caught uh, when another uh, Yuma police officer uh, going into the evidence room for ostensibly uh, legitimate reasons, but you never know. He could have been dipping as well and just got pissed that the money wasn't there. But anyway, this uh, will give this other officer the benefit of the doubt that he's a clean cop. He went into the evidence room to check on uh, the evidence from apparently for an upcoming trial that he had and discovered that the $11,000 was no longer there and that trail... uh, awkwardly left by Officer Presco led directly to Officer Presco and now uh, he has been arrested for that. Um, An interesting side note, um, Officer Jeff Presco was named Yuma's 2008 Patrol Officer of the Year. So hats off and cuffs up to Jeff Presco, 2008 Patrol Officer of the Year in Yuma, Arizona to idiot and convicted or soon to be convicted uh, felon in Yuma, Arizona. So there uh, there we have our, our cops on drugs for the evening. Uh, it's just, it, it, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's just pretty goddamn funny. I mean, it's sad, but it's funny. I mean, you know, drug prohibition, it's... It, it obviously, kids, it's not working. And, uh, you know, all, I mean, the cops, for God's sakes, I mean, anyway. Indianapolis, Indiana, and Yuma, Arizona, you are our star states and cities tonight for our Cops on Drugs segment. So, 
as I take my last gulp or two of Red Bull Simply Cola. Oh, I got to tell you, the closest thing is, is Dr. Pepper, but I don't know. I don't know if I can drink another one of those or not. I've never had Red Bull and... <clears throat> And I'm not I'm not numbing up or anything, and I'm not. Uh, you know, if there's if there's cocaine in this, you know, you got to take a bath in it uh, to get a buzz. But anyway, like I said, in the interest uh, in just interest, <laughs> maybe I do have a buzz. I don't know. In the interest of science and technology, I guess take something to get that coca leaf in the Red Bull. In the interest of science, I decided to experiment uh, on myself this evening. Uh, I just noticed at the bottom of the can, it says, strong and natural. Well, of course it is. <laughs> so, Red Bull Simply Cola. 0.4 milligrams of cocaine in every 12-ounce can. So, if anybody is interested in being a guinea pig and... Uh, Taking one for the team of science, go out to your local store. You're not going to, you know, it's probably going to have to order it like I did. Uh, I went to a couple of different stores and nobody carried it. They just carried the regular Red Bull. But if you want to, if you want to find out if there's any kind of buzz about the Red Cola, Red uh, Bull Simply Cola buzz, go out and buy your four pack, uh, fr put it in the fridge, pop the top and see if it, uh, if it does anything for you. I don't think it's doing all that much for me, but it was it was worth a try. So, uh, interestingly enough, it will probably get uh, get banned uh, not only in Boston but across the United States. And there you have it. Uh, one other one other thing I want to leave you with this evening. Not a lot of news today. More um, more Nixon tapes were released. Um, most of the juicy ones, at least from my, my perspective about drugs and, and Watergate, have been, uh, have been released. But uh, these tapes uh, were between uh, Nixon and Haldeman and uh, Nixon and Colson. Primarily it was about the, uh, the Vietnam War and how that was, uh, was going and, and uh, wasn't going. And for all, of my, uh, for all of my den heads and listeners out there, I... I get, I get the uh, the idea that most of you are are younger, you know, obviously much younger than I am. I'm 59 years old, but I think most of my uh, my listeners are in the uh, younger crowd. And when I travel around and speak on college campuses, I hear uh, quite frequently that um, you consider George W. Bush the worst president in U.S. history. Now, again, uh, those type of pronouncements, for them to have any value, generally take uh, decades of perspective to actually see. But uh, I can tell you right now that Richard M. Nixon makes George W. Bush look like a Boy Scout. Richard Nixon had a foreign policy that was, uh, was controversial, bombing uh, parts of uh, Southeast Asia that we said we wouldn't bomb. He did go to China. There were a few things about Richard Nixon that I can that I can find uh, to to say nice things about. But it's almost like uh, Michael Jackson. His his bad deeds uh, superseded whatever 
uh, whatever good deeds he did. And it was Richard Nixon, we cannot forget, who started the war on drugs. It was Richard Nixon in 1973 that signed an executive order creating the Drug Enforcement Administration. So Richard Nixon, in my opinion, in my life, uh, is the worst U.S. president. Uh, I can't say in history, but I can certainly say of my lifetime and, and probably uh, in history. Richard Nixon uh, orchestrated and perpetrated a cover-up of the Watergate burglary. He did this from inside the Oval Office. It was a high crime and more than just a misdemeanor, and he was an unindicted co-conspirator in the Watergate hearings. 43, 43 Nixon administration uh, employees and staffers uh, went to jail as a result of Watergate. So for all of you out there who think George W. Bush is the worst president in history, I got to tell you, Nixon makes him look like a Boy Scout. So more Nixon tapes came out today uh, from 1973 between Richard Nixon and, and Bob Halderman and uh, Richard Nixon and Charles Colson. Charles Colson was one of the most despicable, dastardly members of the Nixon, uh, Nixon administration. He was uh, kind of a hatchet man, totally immoral. And uh, Chuck Colson, to his credit, I will, I will give Chuck Colson credit, he did turn his life around and got into prison ministry and by all accounts has done, uh, has done some good work uh, with regard to that. But these conversations from 1973 between Richard Nixon and Bob Haldeman and Richard Nixon and Charles Colson uh, deal primarily with the, uh, the winding down of the Vietnam War. So there we have it, another evening inside the opium den. I hope that everyone enjoyed it and will tell all of your friends about it and will continue to grow uh, the number of listeners here inside the opium den. So as we close out yet another week, one more time I'd like to say happy birthday to my brother Tom and um, hoping that everyone has a, uh, has a good weekend. So until we meet again next Thursday, please remember, when good people obey bad law, bad law never changes.